You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I am Nicole, a member of the committee staff, but I'm joined by national security lawyers who are here in their individual capacity and not on behalf of any agency or company. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Here at NSLT, we've created a safe space for national security buffs and nerds, so welcome to the club in the most inclusive sense of that expression. Um, Blockchain technology is what we're going to be talking about today, and it is everywhere whether you know it or not. From fleet management to retail transactions to food supply, yeah. You may have heard of Bitcoin, Ether, or Zcash, which are touted as anonymous payment methods, but are they? If you've not already read the indictments of the Russian GRU agents charged with the hack of the DNC, you may not have noticed that they purchased the tools to do that hack with cryptocurrency. So how can we protect the rule of law in the face of virtual currency? So my guests tonight all have had their hands full of blockchain technology, the good, the bad, and the ambiguous. So we're joined tonight by Michael Sachs of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, Yaya Fanuzi, who has absolutely the coolest name we have ever had on the podcast, and he is with the Center for Defense of Democracies, and he's a former CIA analyst, Adam Zarazinski, who is the CEO of Inca Digital Securities. He has an incubator, but is not at all like Ehrlich Bachman. So (laughs) thank you so much for coming in. All right. Let me ask you, every single one of you, how have you gotten involved in cryptocurrency or blockchain, and how does your work have to do with that right now? Adam? Uh, yeah, so, so I, was, I was introduced uh, to cryptocurrency in about 2013, 2014, so at the time I was uh, an active duty judge advocate. Um, a friend of mine who I had previously worked with at Interpol um, called me up and said, "Hey, uh, you know this thing Bitcoin looks new and interesting. We should we should start looking into it." And uh, that's how I went down the rabbit hole. Uh, we started trading, and along with trading ourselves, we were um, uh, building an intelligence platform for us to use to make informed decisions in the space. As we saw larger players on the finance side uh, get in, uh, get in, and you know, kind of. Um, start trading themselves. We thought it's, it's time for us to get out. We're going to get outplayed. And we built a data aggregation and analytics platform uh, uh, at the enterprise level. So for financial institutions to use to analyze cryptocurrencies and uh, look at the growth, look at the industry um, and either you know do everything from make trades um, off of the data that we provide to build KYC AML tools. Okay, cool. Yaya? Well, I started uh, not not as early as Adam. Uh, back in 2015, I started working for the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and the Center on Sanctions and Illicit Finance. And this was after government, working for a, a nonprofit think tank, where I had the uh, I had to answer the question of. Do terrorists use Bitcoin? There were rumors, there were some reports that ISIS was, was uh, soliciting Bitcoin and using Bitcoin, but we could never confirm it. In 2016, I came across an interesting case where um, uh, there was reporting about a, a terror, terrorist group 
in the Middle East that was doing a Bitcoin uh, fundraiser, trying to raise funds. And so we identified, we saw the group and we started following them, not just on Twitter, but we started looking at their Bitcoin wallet and analyzing it. So that was my introduction to this whole world of, you know, bad actors using uh, Bitcoin at the time and a research, really an intelligence question of how will, um, how does this technology relate to national security? Michael, how about you? So I uh, run the white collar practice in the Manhattan Attorney's Office for District Attorney uh, Cyrus Vance, and we see it every day basically because it can be involved in all sorts of different types of criminal activity. Um, and so in my day to day, we come across it with everything from simple theft uh, schemes where you have someone try and order something online and the good never arrives, but they paid in digital currency and they're basically, I can't reverse the transaction and they never received the good. We've seen things like that to other street crime things where we'll have individual, we actually had a case where an individual had about $1.8 million worth of ether stolen from him um, at a gunpoint robbery. Um, we've seen it with issues with ransomware where uh, individuals are locking down access to your digital information and demanding that they get paid in digital currency. And so when you see things like that um, from a consumer protection point of view, uh, we knew that we really needed to start learning uh, what is this technology and um, is there a way for us to help protect people who have been victimized? Um, and so that's really where we came from and how we started getting involved in it. So what challenges does do cryptocurrencies present to national security investigations or criminal investigations beyond the same ones that regular money presents? And is there a, a rule of law issue that cryptocurrencies pose? Adam? Yeah. Um, so the short answer is I think cryptocurrencies are a, a new twist on an, on an old challenge. Right. I like that. Um, so it's it's just the latest iteration of uh, new technologies um, providing um, opportunities for old criminal activity. Right. Um, we, you know, you you look at like you know back in prohibition era when when guys were souping up their cars to outrun the cops to email you know being used to for criminals to communicate and people being scared of that. Right, uh, crypto is 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 the the newest version of this, and and you know it's up to to folks like Yaya, really to to come up with solutions, uh, you know, and, and kind of lead lead our charge here. Um, so yes, I you know I think generally, um, you know, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain more generally uh, do present challenges to the rule of law um, and to criminal investigations, but. Uh, it's 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 nothing in in terms of the larger framework. I think it's nothing new. Uh, I don't I don't know if if you guys agree or disagree, but well, I'll <laughs> add. This is yeah yeah. I will add a a a different twist to yeah. a, a different twist to this to this new problem or old problem. Um, uh, here's an example. 
now, you know, I used to work in the counterterrorism realm. And when I, I after leaving government, when I looked at this uh, terrorist fundraising campaign, it was interesting. We found out their Bitcoin address, their Bitcoin wallet. We could see how much money was in it. So that was great. We could actually see who had or how much money they had raised. And spoiler alert, they didn't raise a lot of money. It was about 500, 600 bucks. But here's the thing that was different. We even told you know, we told the government about this. Um, I wrote about this campaign in an article that was published. Even with all of that, even with the world being notified that this terrorist fundraising uh, uh, was, was going on, there's nothing that we could do to stop it directly. Now, if we were talking about the old days when, or the, the regular banking system, if a terrorist group was using a bank account, law enforcement would go in, shut down the bank, you know, freeze the account, or shut down the bank account, freeze the funds, and they wouldn't be able to access it. But because of this technology is, is permissionless, no one can stop or block an account. Right. But, I mean, just or to address. respond to that, now, Michael, I'd be interested to get your take. I mean, the truth is, don't once those accounts are closed, they just opened up another one or 20 of them with smaller amounts, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts? And, and I, I certainly agree with what Adam's saying. You know, it's new technologies being used to, to take uh, advantage of, of old-type crimes, and we see it in a little bit of literally everything from uh, a means to actually purchase illegal substances such as narcotics or uh, child pornography or personal identifying information. Um, and one of the issues for law enforcement always is attribution. Um, when you're talking about blockchain, which certain digital currencies actually rely on, the blockchain is actually fairly helpful in that it shows you the transaction that occurred. The difficulty, though, is then getting behind and saying, okay, who were the parties that were part of that transaction? I can see it going from this party to this party, but who are those parties and how do we actually get behind that and find out who it is? And of course, then you have all the other privacy coins that actually don't even rely on blockchain. And so it gets harder and harder to trace depending upon which coins are actually being used. Um, one of the other issues uh, that we see often is sort of a, a lack of... Um, KYC or knowing your customer and basically customer due diligence. Like again, all of this goes back to trying from a law enforcement perspective, identify who the parties are. We can see very often that the transaction occurred, um, but then trying to figure out who the person is that was a part of that transaction is the is, is the hard part. So Michael, one of the things is these people do cash out and they use things like exchangers oh, and um, they also order goods, and those things have to be delivered somewhere, right? Right. So a lot of times what you're going to look at then is you're going to try and find the sort of the, the points where you can actually, where you see cryptocurrency being exchanged for either the good, the service. Um, is it through a Bitcoin kiosk? Is it, um, you know, we had a recent case where they were using Bitcoin money that was the proceeds of criminal transactions to actually fund prepaid Visa cards uh, that they were using as debit cards. And so that's where regular law enforcement techniques come in, where you need to do surveillance of where the um, where the transactions are, are occurring or where you're seeing the withdrawals from different ATMs or another common point where you look at if you're ordering an illegal substance, how is it being mailed? 
fulfilled? How is it actually getting delivered to the individual that was making the purchase? So you're absolutely right. Those are those are key points that law enforcement can look at. But as you mentioned earlier, a lot of times what we'll see is people will use a single-use wallet. So they'll use it for one criminal transaction and then they'll never use it again. And then that makes it very difficult to put all of these things together and track and discover who is the person behind it. So thanks, Mike. Um, I guess, Yaya, I think one of the national security issues that we haven't talked about is the fact that there are nation states developing this stuff. Can you talk about that a little bit? How big a threat do you think that is at this point? I think that's a threat that is not big at this point, not immediately, right? Um, a lot of the nations, so let's just name a few. So Russia, um, Russia has been very much involved in investing in blockchain technology with the banking system, piloting a few projects. And some Russian politicians have talked about wanting to use a crypto ruble as a way to offset U.S. sanctions. Um, Iran, very similar. Iranian banks uh, are interested in, the Iranian government is interested in creating a cryptocurrency to bypass the the regular banking system. Um, so we see this happening. We see, we see what Venezuela tried to do uh, to create its own petrocoin. Uh, but these efforts really are a drop in the bucket when you think about exactly what would what it would take to bypass sanctions. I mean, the crypto space is not big enough. The block, blockchain systems have not scaled yet so for these to be uh, sort of imminent threats. But they do relate to, I think, a broader issue that uh, those who are concerned about national security should be thinking about, which is what would happen if the U.S. is not ahead or doesn't keep pace with financial technology that is happening and others do capitalize it and they do, and they build new rails for a system that could go beyond uh, US financial power that so, is a, mm-hmm. yeah and and I think are you I think what you're referring to here as well is sort of the weaponization of the dollar mm-hmm. our ability to take the power of the dollar the fact of all ACH transfers everything in the world clearing through New York mm-hmm. and use the dollar for sanctions against Iran North Korea, whoever it may be, to mm-hmm. bring them into international norms. Yeah, um, I get that. So, but do we have solutions here, Adam? I think I think we do. Um, you know, beyond the weaponization of the dollar, um, the United States remains uh, the focal point for entrepreneurship, uh, for the development of new technology around the world, um, and I and I think. Even today, right, the U.S. government as a whole, for the most part, whether that's uh, in, in Congress or, uh, you know, at the Securities and Exchange Commission or the CFTC, um, they put a lot of thought into how, um, how to maintain a light touch uh, to not snuff out the evolution of this technology and the entrepreneurship that we're seeing now because of this. Um, because, uh, you know, while most congressmen may not understand what, what is happening and, 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 and what, uh, you, know, uh, my, you know, my friends that are building companies are doing, uh, they understand most of them and not all of them. Um, I know there was that, that, I don't even know who it was, that proposed a complete ban on, on crypto. I saw that, though. Yeah, yes, yeah. a complete ban. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not saying it's all of them, but, uh, but most of them understand that, uh, that, you know, the, 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 that this is a thing, right, and, and that it should be handled. Ho- hopefully something uh, um, like uh, Clinton handled the Internet. 
and in counterpoint to that bill, in fairness, there was another one that banned any regulation. Yes, that's it. Technology yeah. Yeah. for any reason, right? <laughs> Which um, I think you know might have been in the category of poorly considered. <laughs> um, what do you think, Yaya? Um, yeah, on the question of, of uh, solutions. The, the solutions, well, the solutions, I think Adam is pointing out, is that we have to stay a step ahead. That's I right. mean, you know, one of the big problems is that, you know, going back to the whole U.S. adversaries thing, um, Russia is incentivized to try to use this technology, you know, against us, right? And in fact, uh, yeah. if you look at, if you like a, look at pictures uh, from Venezuela's uh, mm you know, petro coin thing. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of big Russian guys standing in the back. Yeah. Like, like Cossacks? Yeah, I mean, they, 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 like Cossacks? Yeah, but like developer yeah. Cossacks. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. and yeah Cossacks because, and black t-shirts? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because Russian, cause if you think about it, right, so one country can't just create some alternative, you know, petro coin or whatever it is, right, and say, hey, come and use my coin. There's, there would have to be a coalition. There would have to be collusion. Buy-in, right, right. Buy in, right? <laughs> To use the collusion word, right? You'd have to have R Russia. I'm not advising this, but this is. I look. I, I, no, because I think of. I'm a. I'm a former Intel guy, so I, I try to think about what the adversaries are doing and what we need to watch out for. So we need to make sure as countries get together as they develop new rails that the U.S. is still part of part of the conversation. There are going to have to be standards for for even blockchain. Uh, you know, blockchain infrastructure. The U.S. should not be behind. The U.S. needs more folks who understand computer science. Science, mm -hmm. to be involved as investigators, to be involved in the intel community. can't just be, you know, you know exactly. And, and Mike, I'm sure you could speak to that. Well, and let me say this, yeah. folks, for, for people listening to the podcast, Yaya has given some testimony that discussed um, possible solutions. We'll hyperlink that in the notes to the cast. Michael. So two, two points that I, I guess I want to add on to that. Um, Yaya has, uh, I think, done a terrific job in framing the international aspect of this, and certainly that is one of the, um, I think, best part about cryptocurrencies is that it really opens markets and goes to areas, uh, frankly, all you need is computer access, uh, and so it can, you know, bank the unbanked. Um, one of the difficulties from that, from a prosecutor's point of view or from an intelligence point of view, is that um, you don't always know who the actors are in those countries um, where this is going. And that can be difficult because if we can't get access to records pertaining to particular transactions, then we can't stop it or identify the people that are behind that. And so if you want to look in terms of like sanctions evasion or uh, counter-terror financing, um, those are types of things that you have to be concerned about. But then, frankly, we see all sorts of things like, you know, just ransomware and other attacks where money uh, or digital currency goes through foreign exchanges that, um, due to the process in which we need to get records from foreign countries, uh, the mutual legal assistance treaty um, aspect uh it's so behind the times that often by the time we're getting information from some of these places, if we get information at all, um, we're not in a position to actually act on it. So I think in terms of trying to come up with solutions to these things, uh, in addition to the regulations that Adam and, and Yaya sort of talked about, um, you also have to look at how we interact with foreign countries and how we can get records and things from them. Um, 
and then to Adam's Adam's point earlier, um, you want to have regulations that are going to foster technological advances so that you're not stifling the advance of any of this. Um, But at the same time, you also need to make sure that you're doing things so that the cryptocurrency world um, is something that we can still have insight into. And by that, I mean there are cryptocurrency tracking companies out there. Um, you know, they need to continue to expand the types of cryptocurrencies that they see. Uh, one of the things that is always a problem is you're dealing with mixers or tumblers, and how can you track the currency that's going through there? And so really having those companies develop ways to automate the mixing and things like that is all very important in order to track this stuff again from a law enforcement or intelligence uh, perspective. And Michael, when you talk about, so exchanges are the places where you can exchange um, cryptocurrency for fiat currency, mixers and tumblers being the places where you could change, for example, one cryptocurrency such as Ether into Bitcoin. And do you want to amplify, add to that? Yeah, so if I, if I could add to the, to the example of, of mixers and tumblers. Um, so, so a lot of a lot of what this is is uh, you ha- you you're holding uh, let's say uh, Bitcoin or uh, probably a more appropriate um, coin is Monero. Um, you you're holding it in your wallet, right? And if and if I want to send it to Yaya, uh, if if I was do, just doing that in, in in Bitcoin, it just it goes to him directly. Uh, what it, essentially what a Tumblr does, uh, and in in the case of Monero, uh, aside from um, the the most recent um, um, flaws in the development or supposed flaws in the development that just happened, uh, what it does is it, it bounces it off of a bunch of, um, well, sometimes real, but also false addresses. Um, so it's, it's difficult to tell exactly who the end recipient is. It looks like there could be, there's, there, are, there are multiple uh, end recipients, and you, do, you don't know which, which, uh, which way the coin went. There are you know fifty options, let's say, and it went in one of them, and you have no idea which one, and then it went down another path uh, exponentially. Um, so even within your your exact you're exactly right, Elisa. You know, uh, going from one coin to another is difficult to track. But then even if you're using a privacy coin, uh, Zcash is a little different. But even within Monero, uh, you know, using Monero, it, you could just it could be a Monero transfer purely, right. not into another coin, and and this presents a lot of a lot of challenges. Okay, and I, I think in terms of like who regulates that in the law for our listeners, we will hyperlink um, what we can from the CFTC. There's even some consumer guidance, I think, out of CFPB, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, FinCEN has guidance. SEC has regulations. And so does the IRS has issued some statements as well. But that might also give our, our, our listeners some sense of how widely this is regulated depending upon its use and function. So we talked about how there's a lot of agencies that kind of have a hand in the regulation of it, but also that this is an evolving and a somewhat ever-changing world. So if there was a law or a regulation that you could propose for this marketplace, what might it be? You can't say none. <laughs> oh, a, Something. A, Probably um, not ban all of it. And, and, and if instead it was just legislation... Um, what would that legislation look like? And and you can't give an answer that sounds like I would name the post office after 
Satoshi Nakamoto Boulevard. Located on Glendale Boulevard. <laughs> what do you think, Yaya? <clears throat> well, it's interesting because FinCEN just put out some guidance uh, a week or two ago, which, which doesn't come up with anything new. It basically confirms and says that, hey, if you're involved in your cryptocurrency business, you need to follow all the laws that money service businesses follow. So I can't, I can't say that there. And I think that's, I think that's, that's good. There are some critiques about what's in there and how realistic it and is. The length, right? The guidance, thirty pages. Pause. <laughs> okay. Hey, for government publication, that's not too bad. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, so I. But here's here's the thing. I think it's actually important to not try to over legislate. So the issue of sanctions is is something I could maybe speak to because, you know, I. What what legislators should understand is if you're going to go after these actors, you don't have to specify blockchain and crypto. So so OFAC and so Treasury can specify. Yes, these are the wallets that. Are, are being used and that we should sanction them. Right. But in terms of legislation, I'd be very wary of people trying to single out blockchain because or, you know, cryptocurrencies because once you put in that language, it sort of boxes you in and this technology is changing so much. So legislators should focus on activity. What is the activity that we want to target or that we want to stop? Not so much technology because technology is going to change. I love that. Yeah. Okay, and it's not like it's a WMD, right? Where you just ban the thing outright. But. Yeah, no, correct. And, and okay. it's and, it, and I agree. If if you focus on the tech, it's going to change anyway. Today we're focusing on using, uh, you know, Michael, something that that you were talking about. You know, uh, the the on and off ramps, uh, you know, to fiat are are where law enforcement is able to target today. Uh, that's not going to last forever. You know, decentral uh, exchanges are going to decentralize. You're going to see. I mean, even even in in capital mar- in capital markets right now, um, on the finance side, I mean, it's something like seventy percent, maybe eighty percent are over the counter trades. So these are trades that are not trackable on exchanges. Many times, it's just two folks on a Skype call, you know, that are talking and agree to uh, you know a, a five million dollar transaction. That that's not that's not trackable uh, on on any exchange, right? You can at least see the transaction on um, on the blockchain, but that's it. Um, so so I agree. And as, as soon as we go, if we go down that path, the technology is going to evolve anyway. I mean, is one of your concerns, and Michael, I'd be interested in drawing you out on this. I'm not sure that any of us want legislation being drafted unless the people drafting the legislation kind of come to understand the technology, um, at least understand what a consensus algorithm is. Um, what are your thoughts in general on any possible legislative changes that might work to do something about the challenges to national security? Yeah, I guess um, before I answer that, one thing I just want to back up and say, so uh, I think we did a really nice job of identifying all of the different federal agencies that have sort of weighed in on this. And um, as a state prosecutor that has an international focus because of where we're located in Manhattan, um, I'm also very um, 
concerned about what the individual states are doing. Um, and frankly, it's all over the board. Um, and so FinCEN, I think, has been pretty clear that digital currency is, in fact, currency and, and treated as if uh, it is a money service business. And all the different things that you need to do in order to be compliant with that with um, KYC and, and due diligence and things like that. Whereas on the state level, um, in many different states, New York being one of them, that's an open question right now that we're still dealing with. Um, the New York State Department of Financial Services has a bit license requirement where basically it, it requires companies that are doing business in New York State um, as exchanges to get this license. Um, however, there's no criminal penalty if you don't get the license. Um, and so a lot of what we're seeing are companies that are not necessarily licensed to business here, some uh, in, in terms of some of the um, ATM machines and things like that, that are actively billing themselves to customers as saying, we're not part of the licensing regime and we are not... Um, and we are not going to collect your information and give it to the government and, and, and things like that. Um, and so there are gaps still that I think could potentially be filled in um, just sort of on the state level so that prosecutors uh, such as, as myself, as a state prosecutor, um, are in a better position to do things. Now, now we try to the best of our ability to still deal with all of that by we might not charge you for the unlicensed money remitting or for violating the MS, uh, the money service business rules. But when we see it as a means of money laundering, that is a way that we can sort of go after it when the digital currency is the proceeds of, of criminal activity. So I do think there is there are there are areas where more legislation would be a little bit helpful to at least clarify, but I do agree that you also don't want to be um, too stringent on sort of how you're doing this because you don't want to stop technological advancements and you don't want to be able to prevent these technologies from flourishing. You just want them to be done in a reasonable manner. All right. Well, and just for our listeners, I think what Mike's referring to there is um, like Bitcoin type of ATMs, ATMs where you can put, you know, dollars in, fiat currency in and, and get coin. Is that right? That's right. And also we've seen some where you can actually have, you know, cash out digital currency. So if you have money, you can send it to an address and, and get it. So you can get money in or you can take money out in exchange for digital currency. Got it. Okay. We've got a, this is a good conversation, but it's also a conversation that could easily go on for two hours. And I'm not sure we would solve any problems uh, of the world sort of generally, but I think it's at least good to sort of table this issue and get people thinking about it. Adam, there's one thing I didn't ask, and I didn't ask Yaya about this, but I think Mike's alluded to it, and that is the fact that there are a lot of private companies out there that are sort of capitalizing on the fact that analysis needs to be done. It seems like it's I mean, there's been more than one. I mean, sort of the big one that we've all heard of is Chainalysis, um, and they seem to be doing really a bang-up job. But, of course, there are other comers at this point. Um, do you see more of that kind of thing sprouting up? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. There are. Um, we actually provide data uh, to four-ish companies that do similar work to Chainalysis. There is a lot of this type of technology uh coming up now and and but 
quite frankly, a, a lot of what these companies do is already readily available, you know, via Open API. Uh, so you, you can go out, you can pull data that that, that tracks wallets. You can look at wallet addresses um, and and look at the money that that flows in and out of those wallets, the Bitcoin that flows in and out of those wallets, um, open openly without without paying. Now uh, that that doesn't mean to say that you know that these companies are uh, pulling in open data streams and doing nothing else, but actually uh, there there's a lot uh, out there right now that can just be pulled in for free. Um, and but I think the challenge with these types of companies is going to be um, especially the, the human element. So, you know, going in, having analysts, tagging wallet addresses, um, and, and identifying, you know, by hand anything. Um, they're not going to be able to keep up. I guess, you know, maybe I'm, I'm you know, I'm repeating myself too much, but um, I, I think the technology is going to continue to evolve and, and anything done by hand is, is, um, is not going to be able to keep up long term. Yeah. And, and I think we all agree that one of the critical things to national security is sort of the government, people in the government need to be educated on this topic. Um, and uh, would you agree that we, you know, in these agencies, there need to be um, people identified who have an interest and maybe that interest nurtured? Do you guys see any of that occurring on the level or scale that it needs to? Well, a lot of this is a function of time. I mean, so anyone who's an investigator in you know big uh, you know big agency, um, you know, is you know, came out of school at a time when this stuff did not exist. I think there's going to be a natural lag, and maybe we have to get a little bit more proactive about filling that, uh, closing the lag. Um, but the you know the folks who understand this technology, um, you know, it, a younger generation is going to be better suited. Um, compared to you know a lot of the folks that that we have, so n- not to say that you know folks that are working in the government or in national security you know can't can't handle it, um, but um, there's going to have to be an understanding that um, there's going to ha- there there will be a bit of a generational shift, and and there should be an effort to recruit and retain folks with the skills, folks who I mean you know most folks in government right probably do not own Bitcoin. Right or own cryptocurrencies? You might be surprised. Yeah, you're old and you don't understand. <laughs> That's why Bitcoin crashed because that was when all the government people started purchasing it. So it was doing so well. So, are you, what are you saying? It lost sex appeal? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, one one point I, I will add. Uh, you know, it, it's a resource issue. And was, I think you were you were making this point. Um, look, you need to have people in government that understand it and are continually getting trained on it because the technology keeps changing and so that's going to be a cost. It's also a cost to companies that you were talking about uh, that, it, that track cryptocurrencies. It's a cost um, to whatever agency goes out and enters into contracts to have those um, to have the, to bring in those resources so that their people can actually use them and then you have to train your people to actually use them. And so I, I think um, what, what we're saying is that in order for the government to stay up on these things, there needs to be a concerted effort in terms of training and a budget so that you can have the people trained and you can continuously get the tools that you need as this technology continues to develop. All right. Well, gentlemen, any last words? Where do you, anybody have any predictions on where this is all going to go, Adam? 
To the moon. To the moon. <laughs> Win moon. <laughs> you know, we're talking we're, about going back there right now, and we're going to have a space army. Well, yeah, no, yeah, uh, the, the, the space, the space force. If they, if they develop happen. a space force, I will consider losing, uh, leaving the air force. Uh, <laughs> currently, I'm still in the reserves. I will leave the air force, go to space force. Depending on the uniforms, though, how if they're if they're closer if they're to flattering, Star Trek, if, 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 if it's if it's like a Star Trek uniform, I'm going. No okay, question. you know I might be all in for that. And let me say, China does have a space force, and they've had it since 2012. And how are their uniforms? Do you know? Uh, it's like a version of the Mao suit, collar, you know, collarless. <laughs> I'm making this up <laughs> right now. But you know what? I would say I hope it's tailored. It just depends, you know, because. You got to look at sort of the body type involved. That's and right. let me just say, and I say this to our listeners too, black is a very forgiving color. I'd go navy. All right. Michael, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Adam, may, it's been great to have you. Thank you so much. May um, the Space Force be with you. May yeah. the Space Force be with you. And uh, may Ehrlich Bachman always have your back. <laughs> All right. We have links to the bios of our guests this evening and to several articles on cryptocurrency. We'll provide some link uh, to the regulatory resources that we've talked about with these varying agencies, as well as a couple of indictments recently charging uh, people in national security cases. Um, with crimes that involve virtual currency, and I'm sure Michael will send us a couple of indictments uh, that are the same um, from New York, since I know he's handled things like Liberty Reserve and some of the sexier cases in this space. We hope you all come back, because I can see this being a conversation that expands at a later time. To our listeners, you can find links to the Black Letter Law and articles on today's topic at AmericanBar.org, Nat Security, and in the notes to this podcast. Drop us a note at nationalsecurity at americanbar.org or on Twitter at ABA NatSec. We welcome your feedback. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association and accordingly should not be construed as representing ABA policy.